You know, um, what I just prayed there is a reality to be fought for. It's, um, it's not just words. It's a reality to fight for. It's a reality to wrestle for. There is an absolute position in him, and it will make you free. It'll bring you into a life that you may not even realize is possible or you thought was possible to be so free. Imagine what it would be like to be completely free of offense. Now, the reality is in Christ, there is to be no offense. So you may be offended, but the reality is the more he's in us, the more we're able to live like him. I don't think there's a greater offense than to be absolutely beaten from pulp to pillar, pillar to pulp, to be smashed, to be nailed to a cross, and then to be able to turn around and say, Father, forgive. And you know he accomplished it as a man. And I really hope this hits you tonight, that he did that as a man. A man who knew his father, who knew who he was in his father, and was full with the power of the Spirit of God. Can you see what's available and what's possible for man? And if there's one guy, and I said this this morning, that should have been offended, it was him. And he gives you an example of what is fully possible as a follower of Jesus. That's a pretty high call, isn't it? But you believe it's possible. It's fully possible for you and I to live a life that's so free, it's scary. It's so free, it's scary. It's so good, it's hard to believe. And that's why he has to put it in us more and more as we say yes. Because I'm just constantly reading all things are possible in him. All all things. For I have come to set you free. Do not be yoked again to the burden of slavery and live in the freedom. And the more and more in him, the more and more we are free to live for him. And we're fully able to demonstrate sonship. Fully able. And I said this this morning, 1 John four seventeen, As he was on the earth, so are we. That's how amazing it is. What an invitation. So it's with that that I'll invite James to come again and uh, speak to us about whatever God's laid on his heart for tonight. The well, that looks pretty cool. I don't know if that's current because, I don't know, is it current? Current. Actually, I think that that's probably going to be more of a distraction than anything else for me to bring. So I think just turn it off. Hey, how you doing, everybody? Great to see you come out hungry, thirsty on a Sunday night, bringing a uh, song of worship from your hearts to the Lord. Worship unplugged. Oh, thank you. It's good, eh, to, um, to uh, this year at Faith Point Church, um, we've, one, one of the things that's always been on my heart, this is beside the message I'm going to bring tonight, but I just wanted to add it in for good measure is that um, Jesus gave us some clear commands. 
Did he not? What's the first? Awesome. I thought we were getting into a rhythm there. That would be cool. Cool. To love him with everything that we have. Amen. And to love others. And, uh, and then he said, this is the way I want you to do it. He said, I want you to go and make disciples. So if the core business of the church is making disciples, how's business? Is that a good question? How's business? Because whether we like it or not, we're making something. But is it a disciple? Is it something that looks, smells, and kind of feels like the original 12, you know? <laughs> or is it, is it something quite different that we, uh, that we see emerging? And, uh, and the proof is in the pudding. What do we mean by that? You shall know them by their fruits. So what's growing off the branches of your life become evident to others whether you're actually walking in the truth and living the truth. And uh, so this year at Faith Point uh, at home, we, we're in, we call it follow Jesus training, follow Jesus training. So our whole church is doing follow Jesus training. And, uh, <clears throat> and our goal is to actually uh, to incorporate the ability to make other disciples, that we don't need to pull a manual off the shelf to consult chapter so-and-so and and verse so-and-so, but it's in here. And we can take anybody at any point of time with what we've trained ourselves because training is not listening to teaching. Training is being able to absorb, take on board, and then go and replicate with somebody else. Otherwise, we're just gathering information, and information doesn't transform. And training is the ability to pass on to others what God has passed to you. And that's the vital link that I see. I've traveled a lot, uh, particularly in the Eastern world, and ministered a lot in Asia. And where the church is going viral, this is what you've got. You've got, you've got generations of father to son. And one church in southeastern China that's experiencing a real revival of the Holy Spirit. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2, The things that I have taught you, Timothy, I want you to entrust to faithful men who will then entrust to others also. Generation number one, Paul. Generation number two, Timothy. Generation number three, faithful men. Generation number four, others also. That's four generations. Church in Southeast China right now have gone down to 24 generations. From one convert getting saved, and then, then, then he's multiplied himself and trained another disciple who's then taken, that disciple's then trained another disciple 24 deep. And I say the mark of true discipleship is when you came to Christ and then you've made somebody else into a disciple and the, the root is complete when that person you have trained has now led somebody else to Christ. And that is a great victory in your life when that takes place. Amen. It's pretty challenging, but that's the Bible. And we've got to get back to the pattern of the original scriptures.
So, and I was thinking tonight, um, just to bounce off something that happened, one of the songs that happened tonight, the old Keith Green favorite, you know, Keith Green, he was a madman, he was a madman for Jesus. And I discovered a lot of stuff about Keith just recently because I spent some time with Winky Prattney. And Winky and Keith Green were best friends, very, very close friends. Winky's a New Zealander, a great revivalist, has just trained thousands upon thousands of young people for the gospel. And I was talking to him about Keith. And, um, but, you know, the interesting factor is, is that tonight we sang, replace the lamp of my first love that once burned bright and clear. Can I ask you the question tonight? Why are we having to replace it? Because it's no longer present tense. It's no longer burning bright and clear. Because we dropped the ball somewhere along the way. And we had to regather that which was lost out of our lives, was that, which is that burning love for Jesus. And we've dropped the ball and we have to regather it again and come back. And I want to talk to you tonight about learning that place of intimacy with Christ. The, 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 reason why, the reason why we have to rediscover it is because we stop discovering the new things somewhere along the journey. Because you know what, what's, the, what's the thing that's evidenced in your first love? Everything's new. Everything's bright and shining. Everything's exciting because you haven't walked this way before. Now, if the Word of God says His ways are past finding out, that means you're never going to ever get to the depth of God, which means if we've stopped somewhere, we've pulled back because He's not pulling back. Somewhere we've pulled back and we've lost that bright, clear flame. You know, and there's a model, there's a model for us in the tabernacle of Moses where the high priest would go into the, you've got two places in the, in the, uh, in the, holy, the holy place and the most holy place. Most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt, the Shekinah glory was in there. Once a year, the, the high priest went in there with a rope tied around his ankle because if he got it wrong, they'd have to drag him out. And then the other place was the, the holy place. And in the holy place, they had a, a candle lampstand. And in the candle lampstand, the, the lamp was, the wick was to burn day and night. And every morning, the priest used to have to come in and he used to have to trim the wick. And the reason why he had to trim the wick daily was that if you didn't trim it, you'd give off a smoky flame instead of a bright, clear flame. There's a message right there in our lives of daily encountering with Christ so that the flame in your life is not smoky and understood but bright and clear so that when you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, you have something to show the world. He's the light of the world. If he's in you, he wants to shine out of you. Amen? So, Father, let's just, um, let's just pray. Let's just commit this to the Lord. Lord, I just thank you tonight for each and every person that's present in this place. I thank you, Father, that in some way the gospel of Jesus Christ has broken through into our lives. And tonight, Lord, we want that to be an ongoing experience where we're continually passing on what you've passed on to us to others in such an impactful way that others are able to experience the love of God in their lives. So, Lord, as we just look into your word tonight, we pray, Father, that you would just begin to do a great work within us. In Jesus' name, amen.
You know, Timothy says that there is the danger of us all because we're religious people. Religion is, means habit forming. We get into habits. So coming to church can just become a habit. It can get, become a ritual. It can become ritual, ritualistic and traditional. So you can form good traditions and bad traditions. But there's a form of godliness that denies the power. And we're all susceptible, every single one of us are susceptible to starting off with a bright, clear flame and then adopting a routine and a religious habit in our life where we actually are missing the connection with God. And I want to try to help you tonight to just put a few things your way that have helped me to discover that connection in an ongoing basis. When I came to Christ, I was 20 years old. And, uh, and the Lord sent a, a, a prophet uh, who spotted me in church first couple of times I ever went, my bright red hair back in those days, not the glorious crown you see tonight, a hoary head I, how now, I now have, a hoary head is found in the ways of righteousness as a crown, <laughs> crowning glory. So I have a hoary head and a hoary wife. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> and uh and so what happened was God had spoken to him the first time that he ever saw me in a church service because I got saved outside of church and then a guy brought me along to a church service and I saw everybody lifting their hands up. I thought, oh, this is all really weird, never seen anything like this before. And the Lord spoke to him, and I didn't know at the time, but he said, I've called him to the ministry. I want you to take him under your wing so that the enemy doesn't pick him off. And right at that point in time, I had drug dealers coming around to where I was living. I had all my old friends that were coming around trying to suck me back into their world again. I had people coming giving me free drugs. I always had to pay for them before Christ. Now, after Christ, I was getting free drugs. So, of course, I didn't take them, but um, except for once. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and so he extracted me, this guy extracted me out of that situation. And for the first time in my life, I saw what a real disciple was. I saw a man who was living for Jesus, unmistakably so. The house was filled with an incredible peace that was beyond description. I couldn't describe it. There was an atmosphere in the home that was tangible. And uh, he would get up on average 3 a.m., between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. every day and seek the Lord for three hours before he went to a physical hard laboring job. And, um, and I, he, would, he would wake me up. And when I didn't want him to wake up, I wanted to stay in bed, and I could hear this man singing praise to the Lord in the early hours of the morning, even though he had a big blanket over him to try and muffle the sound so he didn't wake up people that were in the flat. And so if you can't beat him, join him. So I ended up, I ended up getting out of bed early in the morning, and I began to observe a life of a man who was a real disciple. And he began to teach me. In the Word of God, 
not through some formal Bible study, but we go to the Scriptures. And we cross-reference the Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, and we would just get into the Word. And then we would get into prayer. And before long, uh, I was starting to identify the things that were happening in his life every day. Every day there would be incidences that were going on. He would be having encounters with his workmates. He would be leading people to Christ in the, in the marketplace. And, uh, and, and, I, and everything within me said, that's what I want. And I saw so many half-hearted, watered-down, almost backslidden Christians around me. I said to myself, I never want to be like that, Lord. Would you protect me from being like that? And would you teach me how to be a real follower, a true disciple of Jesus? And so thus my journey to discover intimacy began at that point in time. And he encouraged me and he said to me, if you want God to speak to you very clearly, then he said, there's a real secret. And I said, what's that? And he said, go without food. He said, learn how to fast. So I didn't really like that idea too much. <laughs> Love my food. And uh, so I did my first three-day fast. Now, it also happened to coincide with two prophets that were being sent to our congregation. I don't quite know why we stopped doing this because it was powerful. And what they would do is, is that they would get honored men of God and sometimes women of God who had a strong prophetic gift on their life and the whole congregation would go into a season of fasting. And then they would bring these men of uh, these prophets into the church who had been fasting minimum two weeks. And they would bring them in to bring the word of the Lord to the church as a whole, as a corporate body. And then they would bring the word of the Lord to individuals. So I thought, right, okay, I'm going to do it. So I did my first three-day fast. And, uh, and there was two things that were on my agenda. 20 years old, no girlfriend, asking, what are you doing, Lord? Um, I'm not used to not having this no girlfriend bit in my life. I'm kind of struggling a little bit with this. So can you please show me whether you, you want me to stay single? It just wasn't a reality, let me tell you that right now. Or whether you want me to get married. And the second thing, because I was already three months old as a Christian, I was already beginning to experience this funny feeling that one day I might be a pastor. I didn't know why, I didn't know how that was, but it was just a feeling that I had. I couldn't, I couldn't describe it or put it into words, but it was just a feeling. So we go to the meeting. The prophets prophesy over those set aside for ministry, and then they, they get loose, loosed onto the congregation. So they're loosed onto the congregation. First person to be identified in a full church service setting, you young man with the red hair. Stand up. And one prophet, the first prophet says this. He said, God's got a wife for you. Now, this is all I've been praying about for three days. God's got a wife for you, but you think, and I was going, yes. I was going, praise God. Don't have to be single. Don't have to be a monk and all that stuff, you know. Still figuring out how this is all working. But then he, then he gives me the word of the Lord about how he wants to go about it. Because God will reveal you as well, but he'll also give you a strategy about how he wants it done. And so he says that, I can still remember every single word of this prophecy. He said, 
You think it's like going down to the car yard. I want one that color, that year, and that model. So the Lord's revealing my personal thoughts to the whole congregation. Tall, blonde, blue-eyed. <laughs> and the Lord says, it's not going to be like that for you. God's got just the right color, just the right year and the right model. Don't go looking for her. I will bring her to you. Strategy of heaven. Amen. So I waited three years. And you know when the Lord does that to you and and when God gives you specific direction in your life, when he speaks to you and you know you've heard from heaven, you enter into God's rest and you stop striving. You're no longer scanning the horizon. Is she the one? Is she the one? Oh, she might be the one. No, 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 because she didn't come to you. God said he was going to bring her to you, right? So uh, three years later, he brought Viv into my life in an amazing way, and she made first contact with me. She actually wrote me a letter. I bet you some of you young people have never had a letter in the mail. You've had a text message. You've had an email, but you've never had a letter. I got a letter in the mail. Awesome. And, uh, and so when that came in the mail, I thought, oh, first contact. My ears, spiritual ears pricked up, and I began to think, oh, okay, God. So I just began to pray, commit it to the Lord. Second prophet follows straight on from the first prophet and says, God has called you to the ministry. Isn't that, ama- isn't that amazing? I was so gobsmacked. I'd spent three days denying my body of food asking God about two things constantly, and both prophets bring me an answer immediately. That's how God works within our lives. When we enter into a relationship with him, heavens are opened and God begins to speak on a regular basis into our lives. And then God began to give a few other details about what it was going to mean. And four years later, I was married and at the age of 24, pastoring our first church. Isn't it amazing how God just fast-tracks just like that because our lives haven't taken on a form of godliness, but we've connected with the real deal and we've begun to get the downloads of heaven where the steps of a good man and a good woman are ordered by the Lord and they delight in his way. And God begins to direct our lives out of that. And so... I just want to share a few things regarding, you know, many today have succumbed to the lie that intimacy with God is only for specially called people. And let me tell you that many churches today, and I alluded to it this morning when I talked about, it's kind of like a chat by the fireplace, isn't it? We should should keep the projector on, just have some flames going up and behind me, make me feel like just chat by the fireplace. And um, <clears throat> that so many of our contemporary modern-day churches are built around super, super califragilisticistic giftings. 
expialidocious giftings, where we have strongly gifted men and women, the Moseses of our generation. And so people are coming for their, to church for their fix and to hear God from the man of God. Now, that's not the New Testament revelation that Jesus gave us. The New Testament revelation of the pattern is no longer Mount Sinai, pattern of Moses going up the mountain to seek the Lord to get the revelation for the people. And notice when he was gone for a period of a couple more days, a few more days, you know what happened? Everything went to pot. And all of a sudden, they're melting all their jewelry down and they're making golden calves and they're worshiping idols because they had no direct relationship with God themselves. They were relying on going through the man to get to God. And as a result, they immediately fell into idolatry. And God doesn't want us to build our lives around the supercalifragilisticistic personalities, expialidocious, but around having and discovering a personal, intimate relationship through the Holy Spirit to the Father made possible by the blood of Jesus that we can enter beyond the veil. The veil's been torn, friends, and that's because God wants you to go in through the broken, torn veil, which is Jesus' body himself, so that now we're entering into a new and living way, not the old way of the Old Testament, but a way that's been made possible by the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid the price not for you to have a relationship through somebody who's superly gifted, but so that you can enter into your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at a man tonight who uh, started off real rough. He brought division into his family. He deceived his father. He pretended to be his brother. Pretense. (laughs) Deception. Lies. This is a great start, isn't it, for someone who's called by God and had the prophecy. Both his father and his grandfather are like, you know, these super leaders who have both encountered God in their own life, but he's just going about it all the wrong way. His name's Jacob, which literally means deceiver. By the way, that's the Hebrew of James, so Gregory James, Gregory the deceiver. Um, (laughs) Gregory James. Oh, that's right. My name's James too, eh? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, his brothers exploded. His twin brothers exploded into a fit of rage. And he wants to kill him. And so he's now on the run. He's no longer mummy's boy, having everything done, his ironing done and his washing done and everything else done for him. He's out in the desert, miles away from anybody and everybody. And the journey of intimacy begins with Jacob, where he has to discover God for himself. Just like you and I can't ride on the coattails of other people, but we've got to discover God for himself. And so he gets a couple of rocks for pillows, and then he goes to sleep. And in the sleep, he encounters God while he's sleeping. And a ladder is set up on earth to the heaven. Angels of God ascending, descending. God's now intersecting with Jacob's world because he's made a promise that through Jacob, eventually the Messiah would come. And God's made promises to you today, and those promises are never going to get fulfilled until you make the same connection with heaven that Jacob made of a direct connection to God yourself in an ongoing way where you can now position and align your life in order to see the promise fulfilled. Amen?
Amen. You, you can receive as many promises of your life, but unless you've, got a, unless you've got a rudder and a steering mechanism, those who are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. You have a rudder in your life called the Holy Spirit who's here tonight. He's in you. He's with you. He's the divine paraclete. He walks beside you. He's the helper, the teacher. He's the one that gives you strength in the middle of your flailing circumstances when you're feeling tempted, when you're feeling like you're going to be overrun. Holy Spirit is with you continuously, and He's there to guide you into all truth. He's there to lead you into all truth. He's the teacher. You know what we say? We, we, well, we want the, we want the, you know, the, the Billy Grahams and the Benny Hens, and we want all these great leaders to be our teachers. Did you know that you have great leaders already? You have the Moses, you have the Elijahs, you have the Pauls in Scripture, and the Holy Spirit, if he's your teacher, he can take these great men of God and begin to teach you personally through the Scriptures. Through your, and the, the Elijahs and the Moses and the Pauls can become your personal mentor by the application of the Holy Spirit. Remember this morning, the Word of God's not supposed to be supplementary to your life. It's not a supplement. It's not something to snack on. It's your main diet. And when it becomes your main diet, Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and begins to direct your, the course of your life in the name of Jesus. And so he comes and he experiences this thing. And then God speaks to him. And he says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. So he's identifying who he is. Not some demonic spirit that's coming through a seance or through witchcraft, which was prevalent in those days. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. I want you to know God's tapping on some doors tonight. Some of you have been sitting on promises. You've put them on the shelf. They're collecting dust over your life. But God's saying, I'm not going to leave you until I've fulfilled what I promised to do through you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, listen to this. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate to heaven. That's Genesis chapter 28, if you are taking notes. And so we see a couple of things here. First of all is that don't try and do this intimate relationship in your own strength. God came down to Jacob, lowered the ladder, set it up. It's not man like the Tower of Babel trying to build their way up to heaven where God short-circuits the whole thing and says, man, you guys can accomplish a lot in your own strength. You can even build a town that's going to reach heaven. I've got to stop that. I'm going to confuse you and, and multiply you into uh, ethnic groups and languages. And God stopped it. You see, the thing is, friends, it, man, because the way we've been engineered and designed by God, we can actually accomplish a lot in our own strength, a lot. And that's the trap that we so often fall into, we take more and more and more upon ourselves without being led by the Spirit. But after a while, you can do it for a while, but after a while, you're going to feel the unbearable weight 
of walking in your own strength. Whereas God's methodology is one of grace. I'll provide the mechanism, the ladder. I'll provide the means and the, initi- and the initiative. And I'm going to lower the ladder to you, Jacob, so that you can hook up with heaven and begin to get a download of the supernatural kind within your life. And so God does that and he reveals himself to Jacob, who's very, very much lost at that point of time. But interesting, he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And I want to ask you a question tonight. Are we content to have God present, but not to know him? Presence of the Is the presence of the Lord in your life? Is the presence of the Lord active in your life? When's the last time you encountered the presence of God in your life? When's the last time that you had a serious sense of God coming and visiting you and and ministering to you and helping you in some real and tangible way within your life. If it's a long time ago, I really want to encourage you today for you to understand he's the God of encounter. And right through the script, the Bible is simply a record of God encountering man. That's what it is. And so God's always going to set the initiative up for you tonight, and he wants you to discover that today. He wants you to know that he is present and for you to know it, not like Jacob did. In that situation, he said, I didn't, I didn't even realize that God was here. And uh, so we want to see that happen. So God has a pattern. When the floods came down in Noah's day, the Bible says two things happened. God opened the heavens. And uh, when God opens the heavens, it's symbolic. We say, sing that song, let it rain, let it rain. Michael W. Smith, let it rain, great song. Speaking of the, the outpouring of God. Upon mankind. God opened the heavens when he said to uh, Noah, this is it. Uh, Except for you guys in the ark, this is it. So he opens the heavens, but then the Bible says, and then from beneath the earth, he opened wells in the earth. And so the rains came down and the floods came up. Amen. And this is a picture and a pattern of how God works in humanity's life. Because on the day of Pentecost, when they were in one accord in one place in the upper room, the rain came down, the Holy Spirit came down, and from that day when the church was born, the Holy Spirit came down upon them and remained upon them and in them. So from within and from without, the power of God came upon the life of the early church. And that's the pattern that God has set for us at this place. And I want to talk to you tonight about uh, the place of the well. And we're going to kind of just hit a few bits and pieces. I'm not going to go into the whole thing tonight. But Jesus meets a woman at the well, and he makes some startling statements. And these are statements that stand for all time for every believer. And they're statements that if you and I can get a hold of this, it will change the way you live your life dramatically. John 14. Jesus answered and said to her, the Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. So Jesus makes it clear there's a place, a well, 
that is available to every single believer that you can draw from, that when you draw from it, it's living water that has the ability to change our lives. And when you taste of it, he said, you'll never thirst again. In other words, there's going to be a spiritual satisfaction that is so satisfying that you'll never have the desire to go and drink elsewhere because you've found the place of ultimate contentment and satisfaction within your life. Proverbs 5.15, interesting scripture. Drink water from your own system and running water from your own well. The context, of course, is talking about fidelity in marriage. So when you're happy in your own marriage, you don't have to go looking over the fence. But the principle applies exactly the same. You've already got running water in your own well within you. All right? So don't go looking in somebody else's well or somebody else's system when you've got water in your own well. And that's the deception that's happened in the church. We've been taught to look everywhere else except in the well that's within us to find that living water. So we're running here, this revival running here. I went to the Pensacola Revival in 97 in Florida. Man, us Kiwis, we were pouring over there. We were taking tours. We were going over there where the revival had broken out in Brownsville. And it was a phenomenal experience. I mean, it really was. The intensity of the presence was incredible. And I'm sitting in the midst of this revival where thousands of people are being saved. And I'm sitting in this, the middle of this revival, and I'm sitting there, and the Holy Spirit says to me, I want you to dig your own well back in New Zealand. Because we were all saying, just give me, a, give me something of this. Let, let me tangible touch and handle on this thing so I can drag it across the Pacific Ocean and bring it back here to New Zealand. God says, that's not how I work. He says, I want you to dig your own well on your own backyard and let it happen inside of you, James, not always looking to get something from without. And so in many ways, God was doing something great there, but many of us were getting duped. And so we've got into this whole revival mentality around the world that we just, if we go there, it's going to happen for us back here. Friends, that hasn't been my experience. And if it was, then wouldn't the world be saved? Because we've had a few outbreaks and outpourings, and I'm not demeaning those things. God has done incredible things in those revivals. But I want to ask you the question tonight, where is the well found? When people convert to Christianity from the Eastern world, they normally have a strong Hindu or Buddhist upbringing. And this is what they'll ask the Christian. Here's the question they'll ask the Christian. Where is the address of the God of the Christian? Where can I find your God? Because the Hindu will go down to the Hindu temple and he'll find thousands of gods, millions of them in fact, thousands of gods where he can go and worship down at the temple. The Buddhists can go down to the Buddhist temple and they can go and worship Buddha and offer sacrifices to Buddha at his temple. And so if you were to ask some characters the Bible the same question, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? If you asked Adam, Adam, where is the address of your God? He would say, actually, in the cool of the evening at a certain time of the day, that's where I meet with God. If you were to ask Moses, where does God live? He would say, well, if you can come up to Mount Sinai with me, then you can meet my God at this particular location in this particular time. If you were to ask Elijah, where does God live? Elijah would say, well, if you come up to me to Mount Carmel, 
you might actually meet him. And we could call down fire from heaven and have a real party here tonight. But when the Samaritan woman asked Jesus this question, here was Jesus' answer to her. Whoever drinks, John 4, 13, of this water and will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So where will the well become a fountain? In us. In us. So it's time to discover the well in us. Not to go chasing here, there, and everywhere else in the world, but Jesus said, that in you, a fountain of living water is going to be made available. And you need to discover that fountain inside of you because I'm going to place it in you by the Holy Spirit today. And success and things, that's not our well. That's not us. And if, if we don't discover this, we're going to end up just living a yo-yo life of always depending on others and what they can impart to you rather than discovering the impartation of God for yourself inside of your life. And, you know, the tragedy of this whole understanding is that many are looking to TV preachers. They're looking to ministries. They're looking to this person, that person to be there well. You can watch thousands of hours of Christian television, friends, but it won't bring you the answers you need because you've got to tap into the well that's already there. And the tragedy for most Christians is that they're looking everywhere for a well, but they're sitting right on top of it. So how do we get that? Well, listen to this. Isaiah 12. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. How do you get it? You've got to draw it and pull it up in your life, within you, learning to interact with God. And it's interesting. When you've been, in, when you've been around Christian churches for a while, I went through a season from 1995 to about 1998 where I discovered the well in my life. But then I didn't realize that when you actually find the well, this is what happens. All the camels and the goats want to come and draw from your well. So I had all these crazy people coming around to my house wanting deliverance ministry and wanting this and wanting that. And man, I nearly got burnt out because they all wanted to drink from the well. But don't let that be a reason for you not to find the well within your life because the reality is is that when you find your well, it will be beneficial to other people and they will want to come and drink. They will want to come and get a taste and see that the Lord is good out of your life because they can see the reality that you've got the living water, that there's something unique and special about your life. You're not careering around the place going here, there, and everywhere, but you've got something special that you're holding within your own life. I remember the first time, as a, a first, actually it wasn't the first time, it was probably about the fourth or fifth time that it took place. I was, I, I, God sent me back to go to school. So I became a Christian first year, stayed at work, and then the Lord said, go home and share the good news with your family. So I shifted cities. I went back, started sharing my testimony with my family, no Christians in my family at all. And then the Lord said, I want you to go back to school, learn about computers. So in 1986, (laughs) when the IBM PC was very new, yeah, and it was about the size of that that coffee machine right there. 
No color screen. Green screen only. Green screen only. <laughs> Anybody remember those days? <laughs> Dot matrix printer. <laughs> None of these laser things. Oh my goodness. So I go back, I go back to school and I start going to polytech. And my uh, routine at that time was because I discovered the power of fasting. I used to fast every week. Not for the whole week, but I used to fast every week. And I'm praying one day, and I'm drawing from my well. I'm sitting in the place of prayer. And as I'm praying, this girl in my class, her face comes up in my mind. Young girl, only 17 years old. And all of a sudden, I start weeping as her face comes up in front of me, and I'm in prayer, and I can't stop crying. And I'm saying, Lord, watch me. There's something terrible that's happened in this classroom. Show me. And the, and the well begins to flow, and the Holy Spirit says to me, she's had an abortion, and she hates herself, and she can't live with herself, and she's suicidal. Nobody knows about it. She hasn't told anyone. I want you to minister my So I'm saying, what do I do, Lord? I just don't know what to do. I'm 21 years old. I don't know how to do all this stuff. And so I'm consulting the Spirit's ministry in the well. And I'm asking him to guide me and to lead me to set this girl free. And so a week went past. God, you already talked to me. Another week went past. Another week went Finally, three weeks went by. And the lunch break happened at Polytech. And all of a sudden, there's just me and everybody's split, and there's just me and her sitting there. The Lord said, go. And I said to her, look, I, you just don't know what you're doing. You're no expert in these matters, but you're just, you know it's so real because it's come from your well. There's the unmistakable fingerprint of God that's on it. And I say to the Lord, I said to the Lord, I, I said, what do you want me to do? And so I say to this girl, I said, I know you're a crypto daddy. <laughs> Sound like Jesus. I know. <laughs> she turns to me and she says, you know what? And I said, I know about your abortion. That was a real step of faith right there. That was a real step of faith right there. And her face crumpled and she collapsed to the ground in tears. And she said, who told you? Nobody knows. I haven't told anybody. And I said, but I said, Jesus Christ told me. And he told me how you're feeling inside. He told me how you hate yourself. And he told me he wants you to be set free. And she just began to weep and weep. Had no contact with Christians at all. Didn't, never been to a church service. I take her to a church service the next weekend. We're in the second song in the worship. Didn't take her to my church. I took her to a church near her where she lived. Make it as uncomplicated as you possibly can to get them on their, on their way. She's in the second song in worship, and this a spiritful church. Presence of God is there, and she collapses to her knees and gives her life to Jesus right there and then. You see, when you discover the well, all of a sudden you can unlock people's destinies because this living water is in and it's so life-giving that when people taste it, they never want to drink of anything else again. 
as a result of that. That young woman's life was absolutely changed that day. So why do we need the well? Well, the well is a place of relationship. Moses, Jacob, and Isaac all found their wives at the well. Any young people here that want to get married? Well, I know the secret. Go to the well. The well that's within you, and I want to tell you the Holy Spirit will guide you just like he did with my wife. Now, 28th year of marriage, three sons, my three sons, her three sons, all because we went to the well. God led us to a lifetime of relationship together. But the truth is, friends, is that when you, have, when you unlock the well, there's a richness in your life that brings a richness into your relationships. And it changes the way we relate to people. One of the first things that you discover when you find the well in you is that you have a love for people. It's not this hiding in the shadows things and live, living a life in the monastery, you know, being separated from all the people. You actually are drawn to people because the love of God compels you to get involved in people's lives. So the well is a place of relationship. It's a place of revelation. In Scripture, many people gained a revelation of the well. Do you remember Hagar, who had given birth to Ishmael? Sarah finally gets uh, pregnant uh, with Isaac, and she gets extremely insecure about Abraham's relationship with, um, with Ishmael. And so Sarah says, send the slave woman, Hagar, send her away. So Abraham reluctantly sends her away. He gives her a, a water skin full of water, a bit of food, and sends them off into the desert. And so she's in the desert. The Bible says they ran out of water, they ran out of food, and she left her son under the tree to die. And as she's there, excuse me, weeping about the future of her son and crying out to God, future of the sun, all of a sudden, right in front of her, a well appears. And this is what happened. When you unlock the well inside of you, all of a sudden, revelation becomes yours. You start seeing things in the Word. You start seeing things in visions. The language of the Holy Spirit is dreams and visions. Young men begin to prophesy. Old men begin to see, have, have dreams. And, and the language of the Holy Spirit starts flowing out of your well because the well and discovering Jesus in you is the place of revelation. And you start seeing things by the Spirit and you start stepping out in the Spirit because you've actually discovered the Christ in you. The well actually has, has secret, top secret information that God begins to release to you that helps people get set free. So all of a sudden you're going to work and you're asking God about your workmates. Instead of getting, instead of getting annoyed at them and upset at the people that God's actually sent to work with you, you begin to ask God, you begin to ask God, how can I minister to this person, Lord? And information, revelation comes out of your well on making the first step towards them and seeing what God's doing within their lives. My foreman and I, when I got saved, my foreman and I, we were so close so many times having punch up because I had a real rebellious streak. <laughs> Didn't like taking orders. <laughs> fiery redhead, you know, you add all those things into the mix. And so we nearly came to blows many, many times. And, uh, and, and he, was, he was so taken by the change in my life. And when I started accessing the well, that within six months he gave his life to Christ. 
He'd had a failed marriage. God led him straight away to a Christian woman. He got married, and God just completely turned his life around. And that's the sort of thing that God wants to do within your life when you find and discover the well. Changes happen at the well. Amazing changes. I'll finish on this in just a moment. Jacob served his uncle Laban for 14 years. Because what you sow, you reap. So he'd sown quite a bit of deception. Some came back to him. <laughs> Sometimes we think we're beyond the laws of sowing and reaping. Uh-uh. You still got to do your time. So he did double time for his wife. He did 14 years. And then God gives him this idea. And this is, the, this is, this is what happens at the well. And it literally happened at a well. At a place at the watering hole, God tells him to put sticks in the ground and to take chunks out of them so they're spotted and speckled sticks. And then he makes an agreement with his uncle Laban and said, I tell you what, uncle, I tell you what, all the new offspring that are spotted and speckled, I'll take them. Because, you know, they're the mongrel sheep. They're the mongrel sheep. They're not the pure white sheep. And, uh, and so he was now accessing, he was now accessing the fourth dimension at the well. You know what the fourth dimension is? It's when the realm of the spirit begins to change the realm of the third dimension. And he begins to access by revelation. And literally, as they're coming in front of the spotted and speckled sticks, and they copulate in front of the spotted and speckled sticks, God does a DNA change in the womb, and the sheep come out spotted and speckled. So before long, uncle's waking up, realizing that Jacob's now got this huge herd of sheep. How did he get all those sheep? And he becomes prosperous and well, because multiplication happens at the well. <laughs> God will multiply things in your life at the well. But you know, it's not always it's not always easy at the well. And uh and we find that in Isaac's life, and I'll finish with this story. Isaac's life, this is what takes place. His forefathers have dug wells. How many of you know that in the Middle East, wells are vital? You can't live without water. Not for long anyway. So he redigs the wells of his forefathers that the Bible said the Philistines, who are a picture of Satan, the enemy of the people of God, had filled in with dirt. He goes back to those wells. He redigs them again to find water. And immediately he enters into contention. And the Philistines come and fill the wells back in again. And so he has to find another place. He digs another well, and then they have a quarrel at that well. And finally, he digs a third well. And at that well, the Bible says that God gave him peace. And he was able to enjoy what he was pulling up from that well. Here's the deal, friends. If you want to get serious, and I, and I can tell you this from experience, pastors live very busy lives. And one of the challenges of the world that I live in is to not allow other people's sense of priority over my life to direct my schedule in such a way that I'm no longer visiting my well. Because the moment I do that, I've reduced myself down to a very ordinary man that's relying now upon his own wits, his own giftings and abilities, but without the Spirit's help. And so this is what happens. When you dig a well and you find water, 
And all of a sudden, God's speaking to you through the Word. God's giving you visions. There's dreams. You're starting to come alive in Christ because you're interfacing with the Word and the Spirit. Things are really humming along, and all of a sudden, kaboom! The enemy puts the boot in. And all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you're kind of reeling, and you're, and you're flying back, and you're thinking, man, and you get intimidated. You get intimidated by the devil. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, well, maybe... Maybe I should think twice about this world business, about seeking God, about pressing into God, about finding the secret place in God, because you've got a kick in the guts. And so you get a little bit intimidated. But Isaac gives us the pattern. He went again, and he redug another well. The enemy filled that well in as well until he finally found a place of peace where the water was flowing in as well. And if you want to discover intimacy with God, don't think that it's just going to come easy and natural to you. It will be contended for. The devil and demonic forces will contend for your intimacy with God and that place of finding life at the well. But don't let him win the battle. You go back and you go back again. And sometimes it's like the heavens are like brass. It feels like your prayers are bouncing off and ricocheting back down on you. Sometimes you don't feel anything. It's not about feelings. It's not about emotions. It's about acting upon the word of God. When God says, if you do this, then I will do this. And if you're prepared to abide by the word of God, you will get your breakthrough. God will speak to you and you will find that your well will open up. And all of a sudden, the sheep, the camels, the goats, everybody wants a part of your well because there's something fresh and living coming out of your life. Let me just pray. Lord, the enemy's tried many times. You know, Lord. But I'm speaking honestly and sincerely tonight. He's chucked a whole lot of not just dirt, but all sorts of yucky stuff into my well. That at times, Lord, I've just felt like giving up. And you said, lift up the hands. Lord, you said, lift up the hands that hang down. You said, strengthen the feeble knees. And there's times, God, I know, and even in this place tonight, Lord, I know there's times where, where we're pushed back and all of a sudden we've, we've gone from this place of seeking you every day. And now, Lord, we're just kind of clocking in every now and again. And we're feeling the distance. Our proximity to Christ has changed. And we're no longer feeling the nearness and being close to that well. And I sense there's a number in the room tonight that are in that position. So Lord, I pray even now, I pray unveil fresh determination to draw and pull up water from that well, to regain, Lord, the front foot ascendancy over the enemy, and to continually draw from the source you've made available to us. Father, we take authority over every demonic power that's been sent and assigned against us visiting our well. And Lord, you said, whatsoever you bind here on earth, it shall be bound in the heavens. We bind every demonic assignment that's against our well, Lord, from discovering you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we wrap every spiritual force up by the power of the name of Jesus. 
and we say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. We say, you're not welcome around our well. Even though you try and fill it in, we're going to dig it up again and we're going to keep on going. We're going to keep, we're going to keep asking, keep seeking. We're going to keep knocking. And Lord, we're going to keep receiving. We're going to keep, Lord, finding you. We're going to keep receiving from you. Because all who ask, receive. So tonight, Lord, I pray for fresh revelation at the rock. Lord, not just from the lead servant in this place. But Lord, I pray that the well being a place of revelation, that brand new personal interface revelation between God and people in this room will begin to flow. And there'll be a flow over effect of people being led by the Spirit because they've discovered the well. So Lord, let the living water flow in this place tonight. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. You know, I think it would be really good for us tonight to pray for one another and uh, to take the opportunity of praying for the people that are near to you. You know, I don't think we need to go into great discussion tonight because time's probably already gone, but this is what I do feel. I feel like you need to pray for your brother, your sister, that God is going to make a way for you to access the well. Many of you in this room are already accessing the well. Many of you are. But when you discover this word picture that Christ brought me into, then all of a sudden it becomes very, very clear that this special place of intimacy is often contended for. And you can, when two of you agree concerning anything here on earth, it shall be done by your Father who is in heaven. Is that all right, Greg? Do you want to share? Um, Just before we do that, um, I'm pretty sure... James, you haven't seen this, have you? Okay, so the word that we've heard tonight is a word we received five years ago. And I believe prophetically the Lord is reminding us of a word that we received five years ago from Dave McCracken, who said the other thing I saw was quite vividly actually was a well. And this well looked like it was under reconstruction almost. Even the water within it was being treated. Then I saw that as a result of the process, I saw the end result, and this well was wonderful to look at, and the water in it was sparkling, vibrant, and alive. It was incredible. Then I saw the purposes of it all. I saw the people from this house, your leadership people in this house, putting buckets into this well. And then I saw them going to other broken, disheveled-looking wells that had practically no water in them at all. And they were pouring the water into those wells. As they did so, it was like the whole well came alive. And I said, Lord, what is this all about? I believe God is in the process of doing something very unique in this house, as I believe that the outcome of this process, whatever it is and whatever God is doing in the midst, will result in incredible vibrancy. So when you pray for one another, pray in mind that God is reaffirming his word to us, that this is for us. Amen? All right, so let's take some time. Thanks, James. That's powerful.